over there, they quit singing. <laughs> I don't understand that. Amen. Gang, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to be in the book of Jude, so you might want to turn there, and I'll give you a minute to do that. And while you're turning, let me just share a couple thoughts with you. Um, today's message is a tough one, okay? Uh, it was hard for me to study it out. Uh, it took me a long time to write it out, and it's, um, it's kind of, kind of uh, messed my heart up a little bit. So uh, it, I'll, I'll do my best for you, okay? And, uh, so I, I, and, and, and also, Don prayed for the young lady who uh, was killed. And I, I want to tell you, gang, I don't understand that kind of stuff, okay? I don't know that we, I don't know that we can understand that. Um, I can't imagine. Some of you may have. I can't imagine losing a child. Can't. And uh, the pain, and we have some connect. I didn't know but there's some connected to our church family. And, uh, man, I, I can't imagine that kind of pain. Senseless, stupid, but dead. And so what I wanted to do, I think, for a few moments, uh, I know we have baptism, and I tend to get long-winded, um, but I, uh, I want us to pray first, okay? And so I want you to bow your head. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the family uh, that somehow in the midst of an incredible pain there's a, there's a, there's a salve, a little bit of a medicine that the Holy Spirit will apply to the heart of that mother, father, brother, sister, whoever, I don't know the connections, aunt, uncles. So would you pray for the family right now, would you? Then pray for the message. Um, pray that, that I can share what I'm supposed to. Okay? Father, I love you. I don't understand everything. Uh, every week we've got to stand up here and speak. Uh, in fact, Lord, I know it's got to be Scripture. I know we have to guard against the personal human element, but that's al almost impossible because preachers are human. We feel, we feel things. We struggle with things. We don't understand things. And people want us to explain things. And God, all I know is what I study. But sometimes even that is challenging because I don't have all those kinds of answers. And so, God, today I pray uh, for that family. Then I pray for us. For some reason, God, a good number have chosen to come here today. God, I, I don't want to waste their time. And I pray, God, your anointing. I pray the words will be yours. pray you'll guard the human part of it from getting too much injection into it. But God, I pray that we'll realize, Lord, this study is a tough stuff, but it's reality. And I need to be able somehow through the work of the Spirit to convey to the hearts of our people what Jude wrote so many years ago that's as relevant today as it was when he wrote it to those he wrote it to. We'll praise you, God. Whatever happens, we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. The legends of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table are stories that all of us probably have read, many of us know very well. 
As I studied this week, I came across a commentary from a, a wonderful commentator. His name is David Helm. And in his commentary in Jude, he uses a story about the Knights of the Round Table. The guy that he uses is Sir Gwain, I think that's how you pronounce it, Gwain the Good, and the Green Knight. And I want to borrow. I, I would say I'm going to steal it from him, but Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not steal. So I'm going to borrow <laughs> uh, a little bit from, from what he said, okay? Uh, the way he writes is just fascinating to me. He says, It's Christmas time in Camelot. The knights were celebrating the season sitting around with the king around the round table without care in the world. Unannounced, a green knight enters and offers a challenge to the king and his men. At first, the challenge is met by silence and stares. The green knight then says, what is this? Is this not King Arthur's house court? Where is your fearlessness? And on he went against the king, so much so that the king became angry. Then in the midst of all the silence, the least of all the knights, an obscure guy by the name of Gawain, Gawain, whatever, and stood and he said this, Would my Lord allow me excused to deal with such foolishness as this that should not even be worthy of your time, my king? From the merrymaking, celebration of the season, and from the silence, something awakened in Gawain. His king had come under attack. The honorable name of the king had been called into question. And he realized that the king was worth competing for. He realized that the king, yea, was even worth dying for if need be. The rude menace which had interrupted their seasoning of joy had to be dealt with. And so Gawain arose and he decided that he was going to protect the name of his king and the king's kingdom. Helm in his commentary said this, Gawain and Jude are brothers except for one thing. Gawain is nothing but a legend which is fun to read. Jude is life and death about God and his kingdom. In the midst of good news, news that was making those men rejoice, something bad happened. And Jude, in the midst of what he wanted to do, felt compression to have to do something different. He had to write a tough thing for his people. And my dear people, I want you to know, all is not well in Camelot. Jude's going to tell us today that some have sneaked in by the side door, the back door. Some have pretended to be the real thing. But they're pretenders seeking to lead people astray from the truth to support their ungodly desires. All is not well 
in Camelot. If you have missed our earlier messages, we are in a study of Jude. It's one of the last books written in the New Testament. It was written with a view toward the last days, those days, that epoch of time, before the Lord Jesus returns. We are told by Jude, and of course Paul in his writing, will tell us that this time before Christ comes back is a time of apostasy. What is that? It's a willful turning away from the truth. Not that apostates had it and lost it because you can't get what God gives and lose. But they had just enough of truth to pretend to have salvation. They knew enough of truth to pervert truth and pretend to have life. But all they had, folks, was just a little bit of light, enough to be dangerous and enough to lead other people away. They had some facts in the head, but their heart was far from God. And Jude says, and Paul writes, that's what happens in the last days before the Lord Jesus comes back. This morning we're going to be in verses 3 and 4. And if you were here for our introduction, it begins to show the struggle that his readers were going to be facing. Now last week, because he knew the struggle was about to begin, he had to secure them with salvation. And so we dealt with that. He talked about the doctrine of salvation, that man is called by God, a gracious calling of God toward a sinner to faith in Christ. And that a saved man who's been called and understands that realizes that he stands in a position of love from God, a position that he'll never lose because when God gives something, folks, he never takes it away. He writes that not only is man in a position of being loved, but a man is in a position of forever security. You see, man receives what God alone does through grace. Man cannot earn it. Man cannot deserve it. But man receives it. And that is called grace. I want you to stand with me and read with me verses 3 and 4. And then I'll make some comments from what I studied. Jude verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. I'll come back to that. That's pretty important. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. That's basically a license, and it's a reference to morality. A, a moral degradation is the idea of that word. And deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Be seated. Let me tell you what I want to do. As I, as I study this week, there's, there's some phrases that kind of stood out to me. And I thought what I would do is address those three phrases. He, he begins in verse 3 with the, the words common salvation. And that kind of stung me. What, what does he mean by common salvation? And so I want to, I want to address, address that first, okay? The second phrase 
is that phrase where it says, contending for the faith once for all delivered. I'm going to challenge you, dear people. I'm going to challenge you here, okay? And then we're going to talk about the creepers who have crept in unnoticed. We'll deal with that. I'll deal with that as gingerly as I can. Let me just tell you, I, I, uh, uh, I, 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 I may name some names, okay? Not my intention to be a... Uh, uh, tough guy. I, I'm not. I'm only four foot two. How can you be tough? Uh, but I, and I may not. The Holy Spirit may block. But I, I wrote this with the intention of being very straightforward today. And I may find myself uh, naming some, some names. And if I do and I offend you, uh, it's God's fault. Okay? So get mad at him and don't beat me up. Okay? Uh, but I think it's important. Okay, let's first talk about that first for common salvation. Now, here's what Jude says. He tells us his desire to, was to write a positive, encouraging note about the beauty of salvation. Every preacher I know would rather do that. In fact, most do that today. Okay? Most don't challenge their people. Every preacher wants to do that. It's a ter ter terrific idea to write about salvation that every true believer, every true church has in common. Even if they're grouped differently, it's important. We'd much rather give bread than bullets, okay? It's far more desirable. So what is this common salvation? Well, uh, one thing that true believers always have in common, I'm sorry about that popping, I don't know what's doing that, um, have in common is that man is a sinner and cannot save himself. I don't care how good he may be. I don't care uh, how good of a church member he may be. I don't care how often he goes to church, okay? I don't care about all the service that he does. Uh, a man is a sinner, and what's common to all is that man can't save himself regardless of how good he may be. Even if he's a Baptist, hello, he can't save himself because man is a sinner. Common, God alone saves. By sacrificing young people, his son on a cross because of sin. He became a substitute Wednesday night in our preteen group. I introduced our doctrinal study, and I, I talked about Jesus being a substitute. He saves sinners by crucifying his son on a cross for sin. He became the substitute. God in grace elects those who will be regenerated in hearts. They express that regeneration by repentance of sin and faith in Christ. And as Jude tells us, they become eternally loved and secure by the power of God. But alas, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And bullets are required. It would be nice to sit around a table like in Camelot, but not now, not here. Jude feels the pressure, just like Wayne the Good. And so the picture I have is that he almost arises, and he says to his readers, oh, this is what I wanted to write to you about. I wanted us to celebrate the season. I want us to enjoy that great grace that God has given. But I felt the pressure of the Holy Spirit to write what is needed. I will not allow my king's name 
to be spoken against. And dear people, I want to challenge you today. We dare not, young people. You dare not. You have your whole life in front of you. We dare not let the name, not today, not now, not here. We do not let the name of our king be maligned and spoken against. Not in this day in which we live. Second phrase. He says, contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered. Can you see him arising almost from his ease? And almost with a sense of indignation, taking his finger and, 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 and pointing his finger at his people. And him saying, you believers, I implore you, earnestly contend for the faith. In the original, contend earnestly is one word. It's only used here in this form. A form of it was used in Hebrews 11. Remember, we went through Hebrews 11 some months ago. There I mentioned to you that, that in this race of Christianity, we must agonize for the faith and, and, and that we must run with agony the race God has set before us. This word is a little different. Where that was a run for life, this word is a strengthened form only here in the New Testament, and it means a wrestle unto death. Now listen to me. Each one in this room has to choose if they're going to wrestle. Each one in this room has to choose how they're going to wrestle. I can't choose for you. If I could, I would. If I could, I would open your heart and I'd pour into your heart the contents of my heart. What I see happening in our nation, what I see happening in our churches, what I see happening in our families. But I cannot do that. Everybody in this room right here has to decide if they're going to fight, how they're going to fight, or whether they will indeed even fight. But all oh, dear people, listen. This is a monumental battle for truth today. This is an intense moral battle. This is a battle for the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. And the battle is with apostates who have just enough knowledge and somehow have infiltrated the church to pervert the word of God, to sound spiritual just enough to lead immature people away from truth to join their heresy and their debauchery as they blaspheme the name of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when Jude says fight for the faith, you see that, the article there, the faith? He's not talking about the common salvation that he wanted to write. It includes that. He's talking about the whole body of doctrinal truth that churches must build their lives around. That core belief that families must build their life around. That, that, that core substance that each life must decide is the value system of their life. And it has to be biblical. It has to be truth of God's word that's been handed down, that's been passed down, 
that is now complete to us. Gang, what was true 2,000 years ago in the Word of God is as true today as then. And it is that body of truth, that doctrine of truth that you and I must decide, is it worth living for and is it worth dying for? Jude said it is and it should be for us. And there are those today who systematically try to dismantle it. They sneak in and try to lead others away from it. Pay attention, people. Wake up, people. Pay attention to the Mormons. For they know not the blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And they don't understand the sacrifice of Calvary. Pay attention, dear people, to Jehovah's Witness who doesn't understand the substitutionary sacrifice of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Pay attention, young people, to Scientology that's grabbing so many souls today that know nothing about the holiness and the righteousness of God that would kill his only begotten son on a cross to pay the penalty of your sin. May I gingerly add, pay attention to Catholicism that mixes in a measure of of works to grace. Pay attention to those who teach that that tradition is as important as as the Word of God. Oh, people, listen to me. It is Christ, period. It is the Word of God, period. Not traditions, not opinions. Our truth was handed down. It wasn't thought up. What truth was 2,000 years ago is still truth, and it's the only truth. And there is no new revelation from God. I'm telling you, you're in a group and you hear someone say, I got a new revelation from God. You've got my permission to get in your car and break the speed limit. Leave. Get away. There is no new revelation from God. Everything you need to know about God and His Son Jesus Christ was handed down 2,000 years ago. That's all you need. All these people come and they sneak into the church. They come with these newfangled ideas and newfangled things. And they say, this is what God has given me. This is the new revelation. No. It's a lie. What we have is God's word. And it's been handed down, not thought of. You remember that phrase. And then the third phrase, the creepers have crept in unaware Frightening thought, maybe. They may be sitting right beside you. Frightening thought, maybe. They may be teaching your Sunday school class. Frightening thought, maybe. They may be standing in your pulpits, talking about things that's on their mind. Because I think all across our country today, they're sitting in the pews, they're teaching the classes. And they're preaching out of the pulpits. Let me tell you what I think, folks. I think everything that I say to you on any given Sunday ought to be tested against the Word of God. I think the things that I say, you ought to take home, open God's Word, and be sure that what I say is the unadulterated truth from God. Now, the question may come up, how, how, how do you know? How do you know who the creepers are? I mean, do they... Do they, do they look like creepers? Do they have a sign, I'm a creeper? 
How do you know? Well, Jude helps us. Look, look, look at verse 4. Notice what he says. First of all, you can identify them by their character. They don't come in and say, I'm a creeper. Jude says they slip in. They come in the back door. They have just enough facts to pervert truth. We better be able to discern them. They have a lot of opinions. But you know what's amazing about a pretender? You can't take their opinions to the Word of God for veracity. See, they have no foundation, you know. You'll hear things maybe like this. We're all brothers. No, we're not, okay? But they'll say we're all brothers. We're all children of God. We're all working to get to the same place because we all believe the same God. No, we don't. I believe the God of revelation, complete revelation. I believe the God of the Bible, and I don't believe other people's definition of God outside of the Bible, okay? That's just simply a lie. And so their character is a slip in. And Jude says that's going to be prevalent in the days leading up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he talks about their conduct. Notice what he says here. They turn the grace of God into a license to justify their sin. That word licentiousness I mentioned to you. I actually was going to do a whole sermon on it, but I'm running out of time. I'm going overseas to see my son, and I want to get this through before I go, so I'm just going to bring it out here. Not that I don't love you, but I want to tell you, I'm going to see my two grandkids. You can fire me, but i got two grandkids I'm going to spend about three weeks with, and I'm going to kiss them and hug them and slobber on them, and I've missed too many birthdays. I'm not going to miss this year's birthday for my grandson. So I'm going to mix in, I'm sorry, I'm going to mix in licentiousness, okay? It's simply a license. It's a, it's a moral idea, moral degradation, debauchery is what the word means. They're going to say something like, hey, we're not under, and give, don't, don't let me confuse you. Hey, we're not under the law, we're under grace. So when we sin, grace will cover our sin, so sin more. Keep on sinning. Enjoy anything you want to do, because the more you do, the more sin you enjoy, and the more grace God will give to cover. They're good at that. It sounds good, doesn't it? But it's a lie, you see. And what they're simply saying, and you don't hang with me, what they're saying is they're anti-law. Because we're not under law, we're under grace, so I'm anti they're anti-law. Gang, listen to me. Believers are not anti-law. Believers understand that the law is important, that the law must be fulfilled. You see, the law shows us our sin and our inability to keep it and to be saved by keeping the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. You want to be saved by the law? Go ahead. Just be perfect. But the law shows us we're not. The law has to be filled by someone, someone who's perfect, someone who's worthy, someone who's willing. Guess who that is? Yeah, it's the very one they're maligning. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, the law is important. It drives us to Christ. The law drives us to the cross. And we see on the cross the only one who could keep it perfectly and became that substitute 
unto salvation. You see, the law is good as long as you know you can't keep it. But Christ did. But the pretenders are anti-law. They'll use that phrase, we're not under law, we're under grace. Live it up. The problem is, it's a lie. They turn grace into an opening to enjoy their sin. And it's infiltrating our churches. What about their creed? Well, notice what Jude says. They deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. That word deny is a pretty important word. You may want to circle it. It's a, it's a word in the original with a, with a negative in front of it, which means the opposite of. The word is fear or reverence. The little negative in front of it makes it the opposite of, which simply means they have no fear of, they have no respect of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have no reverence for Jesus. They deny that Jesus Christ is Lord and Master. Now, they may not do it with words, but you look at their life, they do it in their life. I told our first service, and I think I'll say to you, what happens on a Sunday, everybody brushes their teeth on Sunday. Everybody takes a shower on Saturday night. But why don't you watch how they live during the week? For you see, maybe not with their lips, but with their life, they deny our only master, despot, ruler, owner, Lord Jesus Christ. They deny that he alone is absolute and sovereign. They deny that only his opinion really matters. And his opinion is given totally to us in scriptures. They add to, they take away from the word as fits their passions and desires. And all dear people, Jude says to us, in the last days, that's going to be not the exception, but it'll be the rule. It'll be the normal way. So, here we are. What do we do? Well, let me summarize a little bit. What do we do? We do what Jude tells us. We earnestly contend for the faith. I want to challenge you that in the morning, when you get ready to go to your place of work, that you're really not there to be whatever it is you're there to do. You're actually a servant of the Lord Jesus. That you're really an ambassador to the king. And the king is watching, but other people are watching. You contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Because there's an undercover movement going on. We'll see as we continue our study, it's right under the surface, almost imperceptible. But there's this undercover movement going on, it's all around us. That's why. Who are they? They sound real. Maybe even talk real. But they're pretenders. Be suspicious of everybody. Can, can I... Be suspicious of me. 
It's okay. Be suspicious of your Sunday school teacher. Be suspicious today because it's sometimes hard to discern. They've slipped in. They've turned grace into a blanket approval. But they're lost, people. They're lost. They don't know Christ. And they're trying to drag as many people with them to the hell where they'll end up. What do we do? We contend, whether it's popular or not. We contend, whether it's politically correct or not. We contend, whether it's socially acceptable or not. In fact, it won't be. So we fight on. Like Wayne, we must be offended for the name of our king. What I want you to leave out here today on is this. I will be offended when the name of my king is maligned. He is my king. And I am a subject of his realm. I am part of his kingdom. And I will not back away. I will not pull back from I'll always stand my ground for my king. He who gave his son upon that cross to die for my sin. To become my substitute. That I shall not perish into everlasting death. But I'll have eternal life through Jesus Christ. My Lord, let's bow. There are those that's going to be moving out to get baptized. Let me ask you to quietly go. I want us to have a word of prayer, and Stu's going to lead us in a, in a, just a hymn. Tough stuff. But can I say again to you, all is not well in Camelot, but the night's strong. The body of believers is strong and we win. In fact, at the end of our study, the last part of our lessons, you'll see the greatest benediction in all the Word of God. We win. Not only are we survivors, we're victors. While we have to deal with some more tough stuff at the end, you'll rejoice. Father, I love you. I thank you for the Word even though sometimes it's a little difficult, bread's a whole lot easier to swallow than bullets. But God, this isn't a playground. This is a battle for truth. The sovereignty of the Lord Jesus is at stake. We must stand. Bless these dear people that have given up their time to come today. I hope, God, something that your spirit uh, has been able just to pour into their heart to challenge their soul. Maybe there's those who need to make some kind of decision. Father, I pray you'll grant that for your glory in Jesus. Bless these that are being baptized. What a cool thing. Bless them, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together for just a moment, folks. Let's sing, let's sing Jesus paid it all.
Child of weakness, watch and pray, finding me by no 